There is joy in the house of the Lord. Praise God. Wherever the Lord is, hallelujah, there's victory, there's joy. And uh, with that joy, we feed ourselves. Joy is, is what we use to receive what God has given us. It's our defiance against the course of this world. Life can be difficult. And, um, you know, we're, we're always either coming, go, coming out of a fire or going into a fire. You know, that tends to be life is a series of valleys with occasional peaks, uh, you know, mountaintops. Um, so we're either coming in or going out of a problem. But, uh, you know, and those fires, we light them ourselves. Most of our fires that, that we go through, we, we set ourselves on fire. It's our own, our own fault, our own problems. But God is so good that he has given us the right to rejoice. When we look at ourselves, we look at our failures, we look at our mistakes, our shortcomings. Um, when it's time to praise the Lord, we feel like, are you kidding? I, have, uh, I haven't really been much of a Christian. I, I haven't been you know, walking in the spirit or whatever. We praise him and we rejoice. Why? Not because we're looking at ourselves, but because we look at Jesus. We look at the Lord. We look at what he's done. That's what people rejoice over. That's called the joy, what, of the Lord. It's not the joy of my accomplishments, not the joy of my holiness. I mean, Antonio, think about it. If, if we rejoiced because, wow, I've had an awesome week. I've been praying. I've, been, I've witnessed to three people. Or, you know, I've been doing wonderful. I haven't been getting into trouble. How long will that joy last? <laughs> not long. Not long. Not long. So the Lord wants you know, the Lord wants to see Satan defeated in our lives. And Satan wants to see God defeated in our lives. We really are in the middle. We're in a battlefield. And, and in life, disguised and camouflaged in all the circumstances of life, there's Satan. There's the enemy. Using natural cover to draw us away from the Lord. But that joy is what upends, it breaks, it, it just literally obliterates all of his purposes. So today I would encourage you, praise the Lord. You know, if I'm preaching and I say something right, feel, feel free to go, praise God. Go, I, we even got the amen corner over there. You know, you can, you can go, go on, go on, preacher. Hallelujah. Um, and uh, that's, that, that's awesome. So joy. We, we, want, we want to come together and rejoice. And listen, the oldest trick in the book is when the devil says to you, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. You know you were binge watching something on whatever uh, chick flicks or whatever that it is that people binge watch stuff on till four in the morning, and now you're coming out into the house of the Lord and worshiping. Yeah, you better believe it. Praise God. I really need to praise him this morning and get out from under all this. And, and, and when I'm praising him, what am I saying? Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me for being such a fool. Forgive me for sowing to my flesh. I know Galatians says, if I sow to the flesh, I'll from the flesh reap corruption. But I'm sowing to life. I'm asking forgiveness. Guess what? The Bible says he rejoices to wash you in the blood of Jesus, to forgive you. Why go on day after day, week after week, let months turn into years, stuck in a pattern that the Lord died 2,000 years ago to get you out of? You know, he has already created a jailbreak for you that Satan doesn't have to keep you in that condemnation. What are you going to do? 
You're going to turn around and make yourself better so that you have a right to praise God. Your right to rejoice, your right to praise God is not your behavior. It's his behavior. It's, it's what he's done, not what you've done, that gives you a right to rejoice. Somebody say praise the Lord. Glory to God. God is good. Amen. All the time. And all the time, God is good. You know, I thank God for those little preacher phrases. You know, God is good all the time. I thank God. Because if we didn't have those, nobody would say anything in church. So I love, I love that we've got these little jump starter phrases. You know what I'm saying? Because people can, like, say them and then they're like, oh, I felt good. I'm going to say it again. Praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, that's so important that when we come together, we rejoice. I mean, we've been fighting a fight of faith all week long. You ought to be coming and getting your reward this morning. Hallelujah. So get it. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You might be sitting there thinking, that ain't very preachery of you. Well, I'm not very preachery, um, but been going at it for a long time and have kind of ruined myself for anything else. So I'm just going to keep going. Praise the Lord. God is good. He's worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, Jesus, Jesus, you think about him. Jesus is proof that God wants to talk to you. You know how the Bible says that he is the word made flesh? We think theological when we hear statements like that. Jesus is the word made flesh. So the Lord came to have conversation with the universities with the libraries, with the theologians. But no, he's the word made flesh to converse with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to dialogue, wants to be conversant, wants to have uh, an exchange. You know, when people start talking together, they start doing what they exchange. They start, they start coming together. They start getting on the same wavelength. God wants to bring you onto his wavelength. God knows you need it. How many of you know I need to get on Jesus' wavelength? I need to be walking with him. So Jesus is proof that God wants to talk to you. That's where you need to start. You need to know God wants to talk to me. God wants to meet me in prayer. Turn prayer from an obligation into a relationship. The Lord wants to talk to me. And then learn to talk his language. That's what this simple message is really going to be about this morning. Lazarus is only sleeping. How many of you know where that came from? Lazarus is just asleep. He's only sleeping. But there is a difficulty. There is a difficulty in talking with Jesus, having a conversation with him. There's a difficulty in the conversation between Jesus and human beings because we think from two different places. And, and we speak from two different places. Um, in John chapter 6 and verse 63, Jesus makes this statement. He says, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives life. Human nature is of no help. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit-giving and life-producing. And in different ways, Jesus has made this point throughout his ministry. I am speaking life to you. In, in being the word made flesh, I am here to communicate with you to give you a different idea, to give you a different way of think, to help break you out of your way of thinking. Now, there have been a lot of books that have been written about positive thinking and thinking differently and a lot of business books and success books. 
but they're all written from within the world. Jesus came from outside the world. He came from another place. Someone say another place. He came from another place speaking something different. Praise the Lord. And so it, it is difficult to have a conversation with him because he says things that don't make sense where we live. And we say things that are almost treasonous in his kingdom. You see, we think within circumstances, but Jesus thinks within eternal life. Our thinking, our thoughts are all pulled from circumstance because we are living like in a terrarium in the world that has fallen in sin, surrounded by a wall, a perimeter of death, and the circumstances that we live in form our thinking. Romans 8 and 2 is just one of numerous places throughout the scripture that illustrate the incredible contrast between the way God thinks and where he draws his thinking from and the way we think and where we draw our thinking from. And it's important when you hear me this morning because as Christians, if you're saved, Jesus lives in your heart, you have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you into all truth, you have a capacity to hear from beyond the world of circumstances, but it takes a discipline. So I'm hoping to speak to that, that discipline this morning. But Romans 8 and 2 is one place uh, that describes this incredible contrast when Paul writes, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. You mean there's two sets of laws? Well, there's two places. There is the world within this darkened sphere, this present age in the world, and then there is the eternal world that created this physical world beyond it. And he speaks from eternity. And he refers to it as the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. There's all kinds of physical illustrations in life that, that help to illustrate this point. How many of you have ever been in an airplane, helicopter, airplane flown? You've had experience flying. So maybe the first time you flew, you were a little nervous as you sat in this big, steel tube, thinking, how is this happening? This can't last forever, we're gonna go down. And you're a little nervous, but then you get used to it. The fact is that uh, the law of gravity is like the law of sin and death. It pulls everything back down to earth. But here you are, of course, worried that you are going to fall because the law of gravity is working. But there is another law. Remember, Jesus said the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is still there operating, but I've been freed from its grip. And so there is the laws that, um, that permit the construction of airplanes, laws of aerodynamics. And those laws allow us to supersede the laws of gravity. Now, the laws of gravity are working the whole time the law of aerodynamics is working. Because if you cut the engines, you'll find out real quick gravity's still working. But you, you need to see this because simultaneously in parallel, you live in a circumstantial world where the law of sin and death makes its claims on you through the weakness of your, 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 your um, flesh and, and your character that's in the process of being saved. But... But God says he is willing, if you'll take hold of his words, he's willing to let the laws 
that are not governed and impacted by the law of sin and death. He's willing to let those laws work on your behalf so that even though gravity should have you, it can't have you. Praise the Lord. So fly, Christian. Hallelujah. Now, <clears throat> in the world, I want you to think of humans and I want you to think of Jesus. So here comes Jesus into the world, the Word made flesh, and uh, speaking the words of life and it, it, people are rejoicing, but they don't get what he's saying. So, in the world, we're reluctant to declare life because our reality is death. When, when, our, when your dog gets sick, you take him to the uh, vet, uh, you're afraid your dog's going to die. When, when you're going through something and it looks like it's going to fall apart and ruin, in the back of your mind, it's ending. It's, it's death. So everywhere in life, we're surrounded by death. And so we are very reluctant to declare life when we see the evidence of death at work, when we see the erosion of our plans, when we see the undermining of our relationship, we hold back from declaring good things. You know when we shout, you know when we wave, you know when we declare life? When Rob Gronkowski has snatched the ball at the 10-yard line, and he is dodging guys on his way to the end zone. That's when we get out of our seat and go, yeah, man, we're winning, we're winning. Because we see, we see it working, we see it happening. But when they fumble, nobody's jumping up going, praise God, we got them right where we want them. We're winning. We don't do that. Why do we do that? Because death is working. So death is working. We don't, we don't decree and declare life. We live in a reality of death. So we're reluctant to declare life. Jesus, Jesus lives in a reality of life, and he's reluctant to declare death. Have you ever noticed about Jesus? He won't admit that something's dead. That is really peculiar, but that is the kind of the story I want to share with you this morning. It's about Lazarus the brother of Martha and Mary. And Jesus is in some other village somewhere, a couple of days' journey away. And as he is there, some runners come from Martha and Mary's house in Bethany, and they say, your friend Lazarus, whom you love, is sick. He's very, very gravely ill. Please come and, and heal him. And the Bible says, it starts by saying, and Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary, and then proceeded to stay two more days. So when it seems like God must not love me because he's, he's staying two more days, and this is, this is dragging on. So they come and they tell Jesus he stays two more days there, wherever it is he is. And then finally he says to his disciples after two days, I must go to Bethany. Lazarus is asleep, and I must wake him up. Lazarus is asleep, and I must wake him up. Well, the fact is that Lazarus had what? Lazarus had died. He died, and Jesus refused. He was reluctant. He was adamantly reluctant. He would not concede that he was dead. You see, we have difficult having conversations with God because he is adamant about some things, and we are stuck in our perspective and where we're at. So you can see the conflict between Jesus' thinking and our thinking. Um, so when they tell him, 
Lazarus is asleep and I must wake him up. He then finally says, Lazarus died. It's like he's reluctant. He says, all right, Lazarus is dead, but I'm glad, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you might believe. Because he knows what he's going to do. See, in Jesus' mind, where he comes from, his kingdom, death is not the end. Death is not final. Death doesn't have the final word. In this world, death has the final word. God has sent the Holy Spirit into our lives to try to teach us how to think the way he thinks, to remind us of what he has said, to get us converted to his way of thinking and converted by his, his word, to his truth, to his reality. And one of the verses that I like the most about this is um, in Hebrews 3 and verse 1. It says, consider Jesus, the apostle. The word apostle means sent one. So he was sent from outside the realm of death. He was sent from eternal life. And the high priest, so the one who intercedes, the one who's listening, the one who is going to do something about what you talk to him about. So consider Jesus, the apostle, and the high priest of your confession. That Greek word that was written there, the word confession, is homologia. Homologia, however you want to, wherever you want to place the accents. It means simply to say the same thing as God. So Jesus, consider him. He is sent and he intercedes on your behalf as you say the same thing as God. He is there to preside over your homologia. You're speaking what God speaks. So, do you remember at the Last Supper, Jesus knows he's going to be crucified. He's giving last instructions to his disciples. And he says, the prince of this world, Satan, is coming. And I will not be speaking with you much after this. Do you remember that? You thought, isn't that a little odd thing for him to say? He's just given all this instruction. He says, now the prince of this world is coming. I'm not going to be talking with you much. Why? Because he knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to go to the cross. He knew he was going to um, love us right to the end, sacrifice, lay down his life, and that he would rise from the dead. So he didn't want a bunch of his disciples who think death, who are scared to death of death, think with terminal thinking, saying to him, but, but Jesus, maybe we can do this. Jesus, maybe we can do that. And pulling on him and misdirecting him. So he says, I won't be speaking with you much. We're not going to be conversating a lot. Sometimes you have to stop conversating with people. Are you listening? Sometimes you need to just say, we're not going to be talking a lot. I've got a focus right now, and I need to keep that focus. Amen. Praise the Lord. So at any rate, God is always trying to get us to say the same thing as what he says. The problem is we are what I call terminal thinkers. Our reality is confined by death. For us, when a thing's dead, it's over with. It's over with. And Jesus made a statement uh, the next chapter over in Hebrews, a couple chapters over in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. It says that he became flesh and blood to identify with us so that through death, he could destroy the devil that had the power of death and deliver us who, now listen to this, who through the fear of death were subject 
to a lifelong slavery. He came, took, took flesh and blood in order to die that he might destroy the one that had the power of death over us who were subject to a life of slavery to the fear of death. So the Bible says that we are slaves to the fear of death. I want you to think about the fact that he's not just talking about one day you will physically die. He's talking about all the ways in life that we die. We die a thousand times or more before that we take that final breath. We face death on every level in life. It sours life in this world. If you think about the way God's created us and what we should have, and I was talking earlier about joy and drawing out of the well of salvation. The world's not drawn out of the well of salvation. We turn on the news. We are not drawn out of the well of salvation. We're not bringing up good things. We've got to fight to keep our heads above, to keep from strangling one another. So death is all around us. Terminance, if you will, is, is something that we experience throughout our life. And so our thinking has been trained by that reality, that everything in life ends up, every road terminates against the wall of death that makes the perimeter around this life, and there's no way out. So, so really, our thinking, our thinking has been trained by that reality. Therefore, anxiety literally threads itself through every endeavor that we experience in life, anxiety as we try to avoid the inevitable end that we fear is coming and is going to come. So we live with a certain level of anxiety and sometimes it becomes more than at other times. We fear the death of everything that we hold dear. Friendships, we fear the death of marriages. We fear the death of our careers. And for good reason, because we see careers and marriages and friendships dying all the time. We've had marriages die on us. We've had friends die on us. We've had the friendships die. We fear the death of prosperity. We fear that some economic storm will blow through and our prosperity will end, it'll die. We fear the death of the opportunities that come in life. This, this lucky streak that I'm on can't last forever. Why? Because death is the pattern of the world that we live in. It trains our thinking. We fear the, the death of opportunities. We fear the death of peace. Someone is gonna come along and take away our peace. All around us, we see lives that were going along in relative peace only to be uprooted and thrown into turmoil and not able to escape. Death comes on almost every significant area of life. We fear the death of love. How many people are walking around today as zombies when it comes to love? They haven't loved in years. They haven't experienced love. No love has gone in and no love has come out, the death of love. The death of favor. We so desperately in life want favor. We want people to like us. We want to be accepted. But we fear the death of acceptance because it is a reality. None of these things that I've mentioned are irrational fears. They're all rational fears. They're all things that happen to people. And they happen and with termination. Once a thing is dead, it's over with. 
You know, the doctors say as long as there's life, there's hope. So we have something called hope, but we only have hope as long as there's life. Once the life is gone and it's hit death, we don't hope anymore. We fold up our tent, we go on. We go on a little sadder, a little broken. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? You need to understand this is the world that the disciples lived in. This is the world we live in. This is what has shaped and formed our thinking. You said, preacher, I could have sat home and listened to the news. I didn't need to come to church and, and get all bummed out. So I'm not going to leave you bummed out, but, but we, we, we need to lay it out for what it is. This is the terminal reality in which our minds think. So prayer and conversation with Jesus can be difficult because we flow from different realities. When he's talking, he says, Lazarus is just asleep. Mar Martha and Mary say, he died four days ago, and by now he's stinking. If you'd have been here, maybe he wouldn't have died. See, they've already moved on. Death has already robbed them of the possibility. Do you understand? A thing that's terminal means there's no coming back from it. But here's Jesus saying he hasn't died. He's only asleep. And it's not the only time he did it. I think it was with Jairus' daughter. He was on his way to his house to heal his daughter, when some servants came to, came to them as Jairus and Jesus and the, and the crew were making their way, to, and they said, don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter has died. Can you imagine being Jairus? Seriously, getting the news, your, your daughter's dead. It's, and you've got Jesus with you? Oh, if I'd only, if he just hadn't taken time with that woman with the issue of blood. Jesus puts his hand on Jairus' shoulder he said, fear not. Only believe. In Jairus' mind, he's thinking, believe what? <laughs> exactly. Believe what? But he's with Jesus. See, Jesus, people didn't understand how he could do it. But somehow, being with Jesus, you thought, well, the impossible is possible. Because he comes from a different reality. And he didn't want, Christians aren't people that believe in magic. He doesn't want us to believe in fantasies, fairy tales, and magic. This is one place. You know, we've got physical laws, you know, the, 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 the four or five, you know, universal laws and such. Well, the, a law, God is a God of laws. And the law of the spirit of life in Christ sets us free from the law of sin and death. In God's kingdom, in his world, which is eternal and not limited, there is no such thing as terminal. So Jesus says, she's not dead. He goes to the house where Jairus' daughter's lying, and they're all weeping. He says, uh, no need to weep. She's what? Sleeping. No need to cry. She's sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. He kicked them out of the house. He said, we don't need you anymore. Here's your two bucks. Because they were rented weepers. So he sent away the rented weepers. He gets he gets the two disciples that aren't going to interfere with his focus. They've learned to kind of agree with him, even though they don't get it. So he gets James and John, takes them upstairs to the girl's room and says, takes her by the hand and says, little girl, get up. Little girl got up. He said, give her some, give her some whatever, whatever, what kids eat. 
whatever it is. Give her some Pop-Tarts. So, um, at any rate, Jesus, Jesus, he's difficult to talk to if you insist on being terminal in your thinking. You're going to think, what is he talking about? <laughs> but there's good news. There is wonderful news because there is a reality outside those walls of death. There's a reality outside the walls of death. There is a reality of life that can penetrate this world within the laws of death and overthrow death's results. Jesus proved it, and then he said, I'm leaving my word with you. I'm putting my spirit in you so that you will have my spirit working in you so that you can believe my words. And the works that I'm doing, you're going to keep doing. And after Jesus rose from the dead, I mean, there's Peter walking through Jerusalem and they're, they're laying on cots, paralyzed and sick people in the streets so that his shadow, I never read anything in the Bible up to then about shadow healing. There's no instruction about shadow healing. None. Carry nothing about shadow healing. So what, where'd they get that idea? You see, in, the, in God's kingdom, it's not technique. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Didn't matter. Jesus would spit on mud, stick it in a blind man's eye. Oops, that eye is seeing. See, it's not technique. It's the fact that he is the prince of life. He is the law, the eternal law. And if he says Lazarus isn't dead, honey, Lazarus isn't dead. It just needs somebody to act on the word, to believe that word, to act on it. That's all it took. And you didn't have to be a perfect, pristine man or woman of God. You could be Peter. And we know he wasn't perfect or pristine, but he believed. After a while, he began to get it. Peter began to get it, homologia. He began to say the same thing as God. You say, how do you know he did? Well, because early on, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he's going up to the temple, and there's a lame man who was lame from his mother's womb. Everyone in town knew the guy was paralyzed because he used to beg at the temple gate. And Peter walks up to him, and he says, silver and gold, he's begging. The guy's asking for money. Spare change have I none. But such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. You see, where was Peter? He was speaking from Jesus. Do you know that God has authorized you to speak for Jesus? Come on, let me say it again. See, that was a chance right there. That was one of your opportunities. God has authorized you to speak for Jesus. You say, I don't know if I could. Yeah, well, if you get into prayer, you start saying the same thing. God, the Holy Ghost will say, now. Amen. The Holy Spirit will say, say this. I, I can say, how come I can say that? Because Jesus is saying it. Jesus is doing it. Whatever we see him do, we can do. If he's doing it and he tells you do it, do it. Hallelujah. The spirit of life in Christ. And that, that really, that is the secret to, to us being a supernatural witness for Jesus. Glory to God. Lazarus, you have to start re changing your thinking. Some of you came in this morning. you got circumstances going on in your life. We're going to pray about them this morning. We're going we're to give you opportunity to, to deal with some of the things right now that are dying in your life. Every one of you, there's something, at least one thing going on in your life that you see it being terminal. You see it coming to an end. God may have another result. 
God may have another result for you. And as long as you keep thinking terminal, now terminal people pray. We pray terminal prayers. Oh God, please help. And what we are completely convinced it's over with. It's over with. But the Bible says, what things soever you believe when you pray, believe that you receive them, you shall have them. But as long as we are convinced that death rules, it's hard for us to say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you. So that's why I'm talking to you this morning. Praise the Lord. I'm trying to talk you in to thinking like God to taking the Word of God and believing it's for you. Stop believing it's for somebody else, but it's for you. Praise the Lord. Lazarus is only sleeping. I share this one, uh, one other quick scripture with you. Um, can we believe that there is a life beyond these walls of death? Sure. We love kicking the can down the road and saying, one day I know I'll rise from the dead and I'll be with the Lord in eternity. It's always easy to rejoice over something you hope for that hasn't happened yet. But what about right now? The Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of what is not seen. So is there a right, is there a privilege given to us by God to believe the things that Jesus has already said in his word are true concerning us. Do we have a right to take those things and to believe them, to assert them, to declare what he has decreed? Make those declarations. That's why prayer is so important. Because it's not running around like a parrot and just saying scriptures. It's getting in prayer and bringing that problem to the Lord. Laying it at his feet and praying and letting the Holy Spirit remind you of what Jesus has said. That word of life, while you're praying about something that's dying, the Spirit of God will speak to you the promises of life that Jesus has spoken. They'll rise in your spirit. Why is he doing that? To torment you? He's doing it because he wants to fill your heart with faith. He wants your consciousness to expand beyond the walls of death and believe for life so that you'll get up out of that prayer and say, Satan, I'm not dead, you're dead. I'm not over, you're over. I'm not going and taking that prescription. You go get yourself on meds. Put the devil on aspirin. Put the devil on, on stomach aids. You know, Give him the, uh, what is it that you get when you, yeah, ulcers. Let the devil have ulcers. You stop having ulcers. Let life. Glory to God. Lazarus is only sleeping. Jesus is waiting for people to agree with him. And uh, I said I just had that one other verse. The other verse is in Romans. It's about Abraham. He's 99 years old. God has already spoken to him. So he has the word of the Lord. You will be the father of a multitude. He's 99 years old. No children. His wife is 90 and she's barren. So she's, I imagine she's double. At 90, you're double barren. You're dead and almost buried. So no hope physically, but the Bible says in Romans 4 and 18, Abraham against hope. See, in this world, we do have hope as long as something's alive. But once it's dead, once it's dead, hope dies with it, and therefore there's no faith. We have faith as long as there's hope, but once hope dies, we stop believing. 
And so Abraham and Sarah were both dead in their body. It says he considered not the deadness of her womb. And so it says that Abraham, against hope, believed so that he might become the father of many nations. God is wanting you to become something. There is a becoming for you, for every one of you. There's a becoming from you that is not limited to this sphere of death. It's not terminal. It is linked to God's eternal life and eternal purpose for you. And he wants you to have it and to take hold of it. So let's stop, praise the Lord, right now. We need to step out. Let's act upon this this morning. I'd like you, if you would, just, just to stand with me right where you're at for a few minutes. And when you stand, I want you to just begin to kind of uh, just sort of aim your heart. And by the way, if you have trouble standing, you don't have to. Certainly, you can remain seated. Um, you're just standing in your heart. So, um, Sort of aim your heart towards God in prayer. Just sort of open up your heart. Because in a moment, we want to pray. What in your life? Is it a relationship? Is it peace? Is it prosperity? Is it your circumstance? Is it your marriage? Is it something you can't even and haven't even talked to anyone else about? But something is dying. The, the, the pall of death is looming and hanging over. You're afraid. You won't even admit it. But you're afraid it's slipping away. Could be a relationship, could be anything, but, but it's, it seems the life is running out. It seems like it's heading for that wall and you don't know what to do. I want to give you an opportunity to bring it and put it on the altar of God. Bring it before the Lord this morning and see if the Prince of Life would say something to you today. Bring that scripture up in your heart. Bring it to the one who said, Lazarus is only sleeping.